Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a joy and a privilege to share the Word of God with you this morning, and as we all trust God together for God's leading during this exciting, exciting time. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, come, lead us again as we share in the Word this morning. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Guide us. Deliver us into your best for us. You are a faithful God, and we love you, and we seek to respond by your Spirit with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm calling this message reflection this morning, Dancing with God, Seven Key Steps in the Dance of Ministry. Now, I'm sure there are more than seven, and I don't mean this to be some kind of a a, a rigidly structured thing. You can do these steps, or they're in order, but they can be done out of order. That's fine, too. Just a way to think about how to do ministry. We're going to look at about uh, seven steps, looking at about ten Bible passages, but mainly focusing on the last one. So uh, the first step in dancing with God in God's ministry to the world, thinking like Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly. I used to tap dance. You can ask me about that sometime uh, when I was a kid, and it was great. And watching these guys so light in their feet and knowing how hard that is to do that. The gospel is God's dance toward humanity, and we get to be part of that. And the first step in that is seeing God. It sounds so obvious that it feels even funny to say it, but you got to see him to dance with him, right? You got to see him to dance with him. Taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34, 8 says. Do we know how good it is to taste of God, to taste of God's love and grace and presence? Jesus said in John twelve thirty two, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus is an omnicompetent Savior. The Lord wants to feed us with his very life, still, now, from the manna, the early days of Israel, from the very life of the Son now, known in the Word and Sacrament. I see God at work everywhere, and I've seen God at work at Makoteo Presbyterian Church and the people I've met there. I see it. People would say to me, what's your vision? Well, vision can be plans or ideas, and we can get to that. But first and foremost, vision is seeing God. I see God in you. I see God in your passion to be disciples and to make disciples. And I share that passion. And that is exciting. When we get together on the dance floor with God and we're moving the same way, that's the first place, the first sign, the first steps of being caught up in God's dance of courtship to a world that waits. So seeing God at work among you and among your your passion, within your passion for discipleship, is a beautiful thing, and I've been honored to see it. And that's the first step in the dance with God, is when we see that and we agree on it, then we're off and dancing. The second step is to sow the word. Mark 4.14, Jesus says, the sower sows the word. The word is a story, and as Mark beautifully said Christmas Eve, it's a love story. That's the core of this whole thing. It's a love story. It's God's love for humanity, his indefatigable love for humanity in Jesus Christ. And all the other stories we see, writ large in pop songs, in movies, in Marvel movies, in Star Wars, Harry Potter, all those great films, looking for purpose, tell us purpose, things in our lives to make our lives about, looking for redemption, atonement. All of those stories culminate in the story, the best story, which we have to tell, the story of God's love for us in Jesus Christ 
is making all things new in Jesus. We sow the word to tell that story. And in particular, as Presbyterians, we sow the word to tell that story from the perspective of the Reformed tradition. And it's wonderful, wonderful lens of rediscovering, reapprehending the gospel out of the medieval times and the ad fontes, going back to the sources in the Renaissance and Reformation. We've rediscovered through Luther and Calvin and others, God's covenantal promises and commitment to us his covenantal faithfulness, his saving work in Christ alone, experienced or offered in, by grace alone, experienced by faith alone, which is given by God alone. We sow and reap this glorious news in Jesus Christ. A, the best story, not just a good story, but the best story. There was someone said, whoever tells the best story wins. We've got the best story that there is. Sowing the word is telling the story of God's romance of humanity in Jesus Christ. I know we have a story to tell. What wonderful news to proclaim. So that's step two. Step three in the dance with God for the ministry of humanity is worship in prayer and praise. One of my former colleagues at university, a man named Barney Ford, used to say, worship leads to mission and mission leads back to worship. Well, Acts chapter four, uh, on the release Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to the God, to God. Verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand. And then verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were shook. So I worship empowers mission, presses us out. And then mission leads us back to worship. That's the pattern of Acts. So worship and prayer and praise, step three. Step four, think small. It's all about relationships. That's how Jesus started with pulling a bunch of guys near himself. Come here, come follow me. Come, come and see. And even all the way into Acts, a lot of big uh, you know, events in Acts, um, Billy Grahamish type moments, crowds, that's awesome. But a lot of it rides off of, flows out of, Little moments of twos and threes and fours. In Acts 8, the eunuch asks, asks Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip tells him. Or in Acts 9, Ananias went to Saul's house. Who would want that assignment, knowing about Saul? But the Holy Spirit tells him he goes. And he says, Brothers, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you has sent me. These relationships, Philip and the Ethiopian, Ananias and Saul and many others, it's all about relationships. Truth tracks, traffics in the relationship, relationship after relationship after relationship. So we think small, meaning these small but dynamic, small scale but transformative interactions. That's how God works. So we think small in God's dance and we get connected with one another. Step five, dream big. Think small but dream big. Acts 2, Peter says, Quoting from Joel, your sons and daughters will dream dreams. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams, to be specific about it. It's intergenerational, which is great. And uh, men and women, too. Dream big. Swing, swing for the fences. Got an idea? Give it a go. Give it a try. Knowing that we are children of grace, and in that regard, we can't really fail. Because we belong to God, we're his. So you can always try stuff. I want to continue to part part of Mark's wonderfully empowering ministry at uh, Bacchio Presbyterian Church. I think that is the way to go. Go for it. Swing for the fences. And then number six, prepare for the long haul. I think it was writer Garrison Keeler who said that 
the most famous part of a marriage wedding or the most famous music in a, in a wedding is for a marriage is the wedding what the wedding march it's a march it's not a ballad so it's, it's a march because you you go for it day in and day out and the stick to and the covenant love uh, that is uh, reflected in marriage that really reflects god's love for us in jesus christ well, it's no different than from God's courtship of the world in Jesus Christ. It too is a march, day in, day out. If you read the speeches of Peter and Stephen and later Paul and Acts, they're telling Bible stories, and these Bible stories are no—they're no finger snaps, quick, quick moves, microwave stuff. It is long haul stuff. God sticks with Israel through thick and thin. They bear consequences of their mistakes and actions, but God hangs in there with them. You know, you could argue whether or not God is expedient in Scripture or even efficient in the way God operates. Is the cross efficient? God takes the long haul, even the long haul of the cross, to save us. We should expect no different. In the Northwest, you have wonderful soil to work with, but it, it can have a lot of good and a lot of challenging things about it too. You got to prepare for the long haul in the Northwest. Having lived there for 10 years, I know well how wonderful it is and how challenging it is to till that soil and work that soil for the gospel. You've got to be prepared for the long haul. There's no shortcuts to discipleship. God can move how God moves and can move quickly, but more often it's slow and steady wins the race. It's steady fretting. And for that long haul, often we, time and time again, will die to selves. And as Paul says, I yet not I, but Christ in me. We die to ourselves and we live to Christ. And we're, we die and reborn again and again in Jesus Christ, living out that truth of being new in him again and again, time and time again. By his resurrection power, not our own, to prove that it comes from us. As, as Paul says, in, that, that doesn't come from us, it comes from him. That sets, it up, sets us up for that. Romans 8, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to immortal bodies. The long haul of ministry sets us up for that. So these steps on the first six, uh, look, look around, looking for God, look for God. Sow the word, worship and prayer and praise, think small, dream big, and prepare for the long haul. Then lastly, we get to the focus, which is focus. We get to my seventh focus, the seventh step, which is this focus on being faithful more than on being successful. Focus on being faithful more than on being successful. It's fine to want to see more people come to church to see your church grow. That's a good thing. That's a good desire. But we must always be careful not to serve our desire to grow more than we serve God, lest we become slaves to being popular. Our job, really, more than anything, is to be faithful. That's the point. We need to be faithful. We're faithful. We trust God for the growth. We even have to trust God to help us be faithful, too. But that's our focus, being faithful. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, neither he who plants or he who waters anything, but only God who makes things grow. Well, Paul tells us, shows us in Acts 17, how to be faithful in a way that isn't a popularity contest, you know, where he really centers on God and it seeks to be faithful. And, and two particular moves I want to close with to focus on in Paul in Acts 17. First, let's read it. Paul goes to Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Greeks. The Greek is dialogeto. So he uses words through words, talks with them, conversational evangelism. 
And a group of Epicurean Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Go figure. He causes a debate and argument, kind of. Some of them ask, who is, what is this babbler trying to say? The Greek there is spermologos. That's a diss. <laughs> spermologos is a diss. He's a peddler of second-hand philosophical scraps. That's what that means. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know this new teaching that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your object of worship, I even found an idol with this inscription to an unknown god. Now, what you worship is something unknown. I am going to proclaim to you, the God who made the world and worship. Uh, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. For one man, from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should be, where they should live. God did this so men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So I just want to end with this. Check what Paul does here in his endeavor. We just said the seventh step is seek to be faithful more than successful. Paul shows us how. He does it in two ways. He connects and then he corrects. Paul connects. What does he do? How does he connect? He walks around. He looks around. He finds inscriptions on monuments. He knows about their poetry somehow. He finds this. He finds truth in it. He quotes Epimenides the Cretan, a Cretan poet from 600 BC, saying God's not dead. Then he quotes a poet about poem about Zeus, saying we are of his we are his offspring, not endorsing the Greek pantheon per se, but finding the truth in that, saying we do come from God, and bridging to that truth and saying, okay, I can go along with that. He sees where they're right about God. He sees where they're right. He connects with what they've got right. He moves in the truth that's already there. God's already been there, working through these other avenues to at least introduce people to Himself. Now, that's a fun way to think about evangelism if we just stop there for a second. The key skills involved in evangelism of connecting is to be an observer, to be a detective of the divine, as the great late Eugene Peterson says. Often what this means is just finding ways to connect our lives to the lives of non-Christians around us. So Jill and I are parents of a middle schooler, Gracie, and a elementary schooler, Jack. That gives us instant connection with the parents. So I see myself down in a Lighthouse Park, Jill down in Lighthouse Park with her kids. Very easy to strike up conversation with parents. And you know if you're a parent how quickly it is, or if you've been a parent, how quickly you can move from talk about kind of basic life stuff to suddenly you're talking about very deep stuff with kids, vulnerabilities, uh, delights, challenges, nothing like being a parent. For that for as a setup for that sort of thing so parenting is a setup for connection what in your life stage is a setup for connection maybe retirement maybe getting ready to retire maybe midlife maybe a new job etc etc or maybe a movie you've recently seen or a musician you love or something you heard on tv or a quote you know whatever connects you to the barista or a co-worker 
or someone in, in a checkout line or someone you've been friends with for years, find that, connect with them around that and start there. Let that be your starting point. As Rick, um, Rick Warren would say, find what you love to do and go do it with non-Christians. You know, I think that's really good. You love to fish, you love to play music, you love to uh, do home projects, you love to knit, you love to paint, whatever. Go do it with non-Christians and watch all the connection points. That's a fun way to think about evangelism. But of course, it isn't all there is to it. Because Paul makes the second move that I want to close with here, and it's the tougher move. Paul says uh, to the people of Athens, um, you don't know who you worship. You're ignorant. He calls them ignorant. And he pushes them, and they push back, and they diss him with that word spomer logos. So it could seem like game over, but it's not. Watch what God does in verse 19 to 20. Paul's strange ideas make some of his listeners want to know more. So sometimes when we're strange or when we push back, when we move from connecting to correcting, people will go, whoa, and they'll pull away. And we go, oh, it's over. Well, sometimes that'll happen. Other times, some may pull away, but some may be more interested because we took a stand or because we're strange or because we sound odd or why do you believe that or what's that about? That's what happened to Paul. Don't underestimate the power of being strange. Don't underestimate uh, not just connecting, but correcting as the Spirit leads you, right? And how God can use that. He winds up at the Areopagus because he's weird. That's why he gets there, because you're bringing strange stuff to our ears. We want to know more. The Areopagus would be like going on a talk show on CNN or MSNBC or Fox at night, one of those 9 o'clock slots. One of their on-air personalities. That's what it's kind of like. And then talking about what you believe. It's like that. Now notice, once Paul gets there too, it would be very easy for, for him to have pulled back, dialed back the correcting and just focus on the correct and the connecting. But he doesn't. He keeps pressing in. He keeps pressing in and challenging them. He says, you Athenians say God is unknown. Paul says, God's knowable. He says, you Athenian Stoics believe God's this world spirit. Paul says, uh-uh, God's other than the world. God's transcendent. God's creator. He takes on the Athenian Epicureans and says, okay, you think God doesn't take an interest in us and is transcendent or is deistic and distant? God says, or Paul says, uh-uh. God says through Paul, uh-uh, I'm interested in the world. I created the boundaries of all people. So Paul connects. He doesn't just, uh, he, he, Paul corrects. He doesn't just connect. He gets, he really presses in. And uh, the need to correct has never been greater in our culture. Confusion abounds right now. People are desperate for correction and clarity. You know, the moralist who says, I'm a good person, so I'm going to heaven. Or the deist who said, God is somewhere out there watching, kind of disinterested. The parent who says, I'm going to live and die on the success of my kids, so I better live, I better live vicariously through my kids' successes. The cancer sufferer who says, God is punishing me. The Star Wars lover, like I love Star Wars, but the Star Wars lover that says, well, I love the Force as this transcendence uh, power that's generic and new age. Or the Marvel movie lover that loves the idea of people using their own superpowers to save the world. You know, Every single one of these ideas has a connection point for Christians, but there's also something missing in every one of these assertions, a blank space that God needs to fill right? That we need to fill on God's behalf as the Spirit prompts us. That's the correction. Carefully, carefully done. Now, if this feels overwhelming to you, um, some churches are better at correcting than connecting. Some churches are better than connect, at connecting than correcting. 
If either of those feel a struggle to you, feel a struggle to you, that's okay. That's normal. We want to regularly come to the end of ourselves as Christians because we're going to go, Paul's going to take us back to step one here in a second because he says at the end of this passage, something truly remarkable. He says, um, God is not far from any one of us. So God is right there dancing before you even know what to say. God's on the spot dancing. He says that to you as a Christian in the moment, trying to connect or correct with whomever you're trying to connect or correct with as a, as a minister on behalf of Jesus Christ. But check this out. Even more astonishing, Paul is talking to pagans. When he says you're not, he's not far from any one of us, Paul's talking to pagans. He's not far from the, con- the confused, uh, wayward, rebel, non-Christian or not yet Christian person you know. He's right there. He beat us to that person. He got there ahead of us. He's already dancing. Back to step one, we just have to look for him and pray to him and get on board with what he's doing. May it be so for all of us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, God bless you.